Hello and welcome to the I Can't Count episode of our podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in. Today is actually Wikipedia's twentieth birthday, uh, so I guess I should say happy birthday to Wikipedia, as I am looking at the page of Maxine Hong Kingston Tangtingping, as her Chinese name. Um, her Wikipedia page trying to introduce you um, a little about the author and her book that we're going to talk about today, which I find fascinating.、Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about Maxine Hong Kingston and her memoir, "The Woman Warrior: Memoirs of a Girlhood Among Ghosts,"、uh, which was published in April nineteen eighty nine. Now,、um, those who are not familiar with her, she is a Chinese American author and professor、uh, at the University of California, Berkeley,、uh, where she graduated with a bachelor's degree in English. And she has written several bo- books, fiction and nonfiction, about experiences of being、uh, Chinese Americans. She has also contributed a lot to the feminist movement with works like、uh, the one that we're talking about today, "The Woman Warrior," which、uh, talks a lot about gender, ethnicity, and the multifaceted、um, lives of being a woman in America. And、um, she has received.、Uh, Really, applaud and criticism、uh, over the years, but nonetheless, she remains one of my favorite Chinese American authors. So, I think that it's definitely worth、um, some time for me to share how I feel about her and her work.、Um, and today, I am going to talk about、uh, how, in her memoir. The narrative、um, in her memoir "No Name Woman,"、um, which which is the first chapter of "The Woman Warrior,"、um, how the scenes of manipulating silence、um, tells us a lot about what it means to be a woman, to be her, the meaning of control, power, and agency. So, the opening sentence of the woman warrior, "You must not tell anyone," unveils the central theme Kingston tries to reveal in her memoir: the shifting meaning and attitudes of control, power, and agency behind what can be said and what must be silenced, left unsaid. The opening line exemplifies the prevalent attitude of silence and obedience. With which Kingston feels woman characters she depicts in her memoir, as well as her, she herself feels, are pressured to ha- to behave. But the opening line also encourages the author to create narratives that both accentuate and manipulate instances of silence or silencing, where characters are denied the opportunity to speak or cannot speak. By addressing her family story in No Name Woman. Just the first chapter, 
The protagonist struggles to become stronger and able to articulate what she feels is unspoken. From the very beginning, Kingston has successfully broken the silence and given women such as her aunt a redemption through a narrative, one she weaves into part of her own life. And the woman warrior, in part, acts as a vessel for many stories that draw upon the experiences of women whose stories shaped her life. And by shaping and retelling these stories, Kingston not only uses their stories to find her own voice, but also allows stories of people who might otherwise have been forgotten or languished in obscurity a kind a new kind of life by redeeming them in her retelling of these stories. Now in chapters like No Name Woman, Kingston does not revive or depict individuals and characters with full maximalist stories that encompass all aspects of their lives. And rather, the approach she takes is one of consuming, assimilating, and retelling, an ongoing process of identity generating. And by creating spaces for these women in her memoir, she shows how she consumed their stories as a reader and was able to incorporate, adjust, and ultimately assimilate to varying degrees these stories into how she understood herself and the world. And ultimately, when she begins crafting her own sense of self, she's able to articulate these stories in a voice that throughout the book recognized as Kingston's own. And in an interview with Shelley Fisher Fishkin, Kingston is very clear about her purpose to save, quote unquote, people's stories that might otherwise be lost or consigned to forgot- forgetting. For instance, with No Name Woman, um, these village villagers are taking a living creature and saying, we're going to wipe her out of the book of life. We're going to forget. She never existed. I realized that by writing about her, I gave her back life and a place in history and maybe immortality. And what is striking is that Kingston believes in the institutional powers of literature and the restore, restorative and preservative powers of narratives produced for public consumption. And the silence that Kingston negotiates with is very specific, where individual stories, be they fables or open secrets, family gossip or village tales, are banished or held to a degree of obscurity that is tantamount to silence rather than grappled with in search of meaning or thrown into a dialogue with others. The first silence that Kingston disrupts and disobeys is not just her mother's command to never retell her aunt's story, but also that of the memoir as a genre and its distinction between nonfiction and fiction. And the idea that emotional truth and actual fact are codependent. And by telling stories that show nonfiction and fiction to be sometimes indistinguishable, combined and truth and fact to be a disturbingly easy separation. The process is made to seem as if such conventions before or themselves articles of faith. Kingston's memoir would not be possible without the particular narrative frameworks she chose to deliberately destabilize, especially the memoir's ostensible adherence to facts and actual events. And yet the text still 
coheres and exists despite her disruption of these conventions. An incident that shows that the memoir, much like identity and one's view of reality, is in fact greatly shaped by much that is not real and by beliefs and stories, correlations and causes that do not originate from a grasp of the facts, but rather a hedgepodge of significant events and signifying moments taken from others in one's own experience. And by making the memoir more novel and like a novel, she is able to use many more storytelling conventions and also assert much more control over her voice. And one of the most productive ways of reading The Woman Warrior, I argue, is not as a true-to-life memoir, but as witnessing the process by which an author finds that distinctive authoritative voice that enables them to speak, imagine, and narrate the lives of others. And Kingston's memoir is both um, Bildung's Roman and kind of coexistence in which she begins by being told to be silent and ends with something we know from the start because, I mean, the book itself, the memoir exists, the discovery and use of her voice as an author and an artist. And every scene and chapter in the memoir acts as a kind of direct written response to the first sentence of the book, the rejection of a vow to secrecy and silence. To disrupt and disobey this request, Kingston chooses to assert control over an author's ability to challenge a um, to challenge a reader's perspective on reality as well as a reader's ability to suspend their disbelief. Um, in the first chapter when Kingston says her mother's story also acted as a test for our strength to establish realities, so too is it a test of the reader's ability to make such distinctions. And by first telling the story through her mother's account and then retelling it in her own voice, she has offered two completely different versions of a story that both could have elements of embellishment or fiction, as well as facts and truth. And however, both stories have revealed that uh, what silence has done to the protagonist's family. The stories that were deemed incommunicable uh, communicable outside of the family, the habits and behaviors, norms and values that kept her family together and connected with their community also helped shape her reality and day-to-day -day life distinct and not easily discernible by outsiders, by American ghosts. Silence seems like the most powerful weapon and defense the family possesses to force its own member into obedience. And thus, the very act of Kingston first relying through quotation marks her mother's version of the story and then retelling the story in her own words is an assertion of authority, authorial power and authority and a direct claim to speaking for herself and others that she demonstrates for the reader. And when her mother recounts the story of how she discovered the aunt's pregnancy, um, she said she could not have been pregnant, you see, because her husband had been gone for years. 
No one said anything. We did not discuss it. And there are layers of self-denial and deliberate family secrecy Kingston has to struggle with that are both distinct from and part of her ethnic and cultural background. Kingston tries to reveal the collective effort in her mother, her family, and others of not telling as not only a partial cause of her aunt's eventual suicide, but also a kind of behavior shared by all that has kept silence about her aunt's story. By telling all these versions of her aunt, Kingston reveals that a source of alienation and pain she feels from her family and from her ancestral homeland and culture, as well as even her own American background, is from this don't tell admonition. admonition. And this effacement of her aunt's life into that of a reduced cautionary tale, this event, while horrible, seemed to only barely capture the complexity of her aunt's life, is what seems to disturb Kingston the most. In the brutal acts the villagers visited upon her aunt's family, portrayed with such vivid detail, seemed to serve not only the purpose of chastising her ancestors, but also her mother for chastise her by showing the collective consequence of straying from a normative path. And the final message of the story, however, is how silence can bring final destruction to a person. And after the, vi- the village punished their family, Kingston relays to us that the family would not speak the aunt's name even many years after her death. She demonstrated that the death of her aunt marked only the beginning of the process of her aunt's death for the family, which could only happen through the deliberate act of silence to be expunged from family records. With the family forcefully suppressing the very representation of her and her name, they gradually dehumanize into a warning, a failure lesson by symbolically denying her existence and show that an individual cannot exist without some sort of collective support of a group, be it a family or a village. In this radical mode of memoir writing and truth-telling that Kingston takes with her memoir only begins to make sense in the context of struggling with the very stories that Kingston sees as trying to impose varying forms of behaviors upon her, be they fictional or not, from China, America, and elsewhere. And only through an iterative narrative process is Kingston able to emerge with some semblance of herself as she chooses not to reject but rather to retell many versions of and then her own versions of her own story. In the process of finding her own voice for Kingston is also a process of finding narrative solidarity with voices and individuals Kingston wishes to use during the journey she undertakes to discover herself. And she redeems, revives, and retells these stories not simply as she said to save quote-unquote these people, but also to save herself and create forms of communication where her own identity and agency can exist. The warning from Kingston's mom is for her to not humiliate the family, but it is not what she takes in or ultimately understands. 
as the narrative shifts from her mother's voice to her own telling, in which Kingston makes sense of her own family and personal history. And Kingston's own narrative strategy shifts and expands to beyond what the traditional or normative values of what it means to be a member of a family and society those stories represent, but also of what autobiography and memoir expects. In doing so, she adjusts her own and the reader's conception of ways to construct the past. When Kingston incorporates her own story into her aunt's sufferings, she has given her aunt back her life and a place in history with the final redemption to let her rest in peace instead of violence. And as Kingston herself observes about her aunt, and then I thought it's a duty of mine to save her in this way. There is a redemption that takes place in art and have resolved questions that would not resolve in life, which I quote from an interview with her. And through the act of writing down her own story, she had made her, pa- her part of her own voice. And Kingston's version of the story is all her own interpretation. And however, this is a memoir that does not act as the ultimate arbiter of who is to tell what is truth and what is not. The real story is forever lost in the silence of the past. But what Kingston has done is to disobey and break the culture of silence that was imposed by her village upon her family and passed down even to her mother. Kingston begins to imagine all the possibilities of what her aunt could be and in doing so enters the realm of fiction so that she might create a suitable new form of storytelling to place her aunt. And through these imagined scenarios, she explores what has been the old roots from her Chinese ancestors, the traditions and customs, which have been remembered and misremembered to varying degree, and she received secondhand from her family, yet cannot eradicate from her own experience and existence. In one version, the adultery is actually rape. As she writes, the other man was not, after all, much different from her husband. They both gave orders. She followed. If you tell your family, I'll beat you. I'll kill you. Be here again next week. No one talked sex ever. In this version, Kingston is not really talking about an existing person, but condemning a culture that has taken away a woman's agency, and suppress them to be silent. As she later supposes that the father of the child organized the the raid against her aunt, as she writes how her parents have been supporting those people back in China, the ones who have collectively murdered her aunt. Her narrative is filled with rage. However, the ultimate purpose of all those narratives is for them to serve as a stepping stone for her to eventually speak out. And Kingston imagines her aunt as the responsible mother who suffers through the pain of childbirth to protect her child with great sympathy. And Kingston also writes elegantly, she was one of the stars, a bright dot in blackness, without home, without a companion in eternal cold and silence. And the narrative is almost entirely fictional, which can be problematic in many ways, but Kingston focuses on is not the real story, 
but using her version of this narrative about her aunt to speak against the pressure of of silence, the inescapable circle of family and culture which she is expected to join. As her imagined version goes, her aunt kept the man's name to herself throughout her labor and dying. She did not accuse him that he be punished with her. To save her disseminator's name, she gave silent birth. By narrating stories about her mother and her aunt, Kingston tells her own life because they're exemplars of what she herself might be. But she refuses to join this silenced group and instead, instead chooses to carve her own identity out as an individual. And in this way, the woman warrior is able to transmit a method of activism and sends out a message through readers through its forms of narrative to not participate in a culture that opts for silence. In the kind of punishments that her aunt, both the versions she has invented and the version that has emerged through the story her mother has passed on, has suffered through. In an interview that helps get to the crust of Kingston's writing style and view on literature and its relationship to the individual and society, she indicates that she believes the importance of speaking out for silence is probably the most important function she has as an author, which she believes she accomplished in The Woman Warrior. Here she writes, I feel that it's a mission for me to invent a new uh, autobiographical form that truly tells the inner lives of a woman. And I do, do think it's especially important for minority people because we're always on the brink of disappearing. Our culture is disappearing and our communities are always disappearing. One of the ways to keep ourselves alive is to recognize these invisible forces that are very powerful in ourselves. I think it was prescriptive and predictive in the forms of what I write are all intricate inventions. I think that in every one of my books, I had to create a new way of telling what I had to say. And I feel that I break through pigeonholes of what's fiction and what's nonfiction, of what an autobiography is. And my next thought is trying to figure out a way to integrate fiction and nonfiction. So I think that I am constantly experimenting in new literary forms, and they're very complicated. What is startling about this declaration of principles for what she believes authorship and literature should be is the extent of control and responsibility she affords herself in telling and shaping these stories. Kingston speaks from a position of literary authority and indicates an active, not passive attitude toward the telling of stories, both hers and not hers. And crucially, she indicates that she believes the work she creates serve as narrative templates whose structure and formal qualities can be used by others, especially women and minorities, to explore their own uh, individual identities. And for Kingston, the genre distinction in conventions of the autobiography and memoir function in a constricting way, not too different from the many stories that she sees being imposed upon her, struggling with, and ultimately deeming not sufficiently her own until she could retell them. 
achieving a kind of authorial ownership while maintaining a degree of separation since it represents other characters and persons even though they have not they have been woven into her own life and narratives and only with this context can a reader begin to fully see the scope and significance of the risk Kingston takes by incorporating completely fictional elements into her story serve to emphasize the lack of identification or solidarity as she feels with the communities that she is told she belongs to by virtue of her ethnicity, gender, and geography. She locates some uh, medicum of identification, identity, and solidarity only when she's able to tell stories in a way that offers her some medicum of satisfaction, not others. The valorizing of her aunt in her own version of the story is a fictional account. It cannot satisfy the standards of facts that are required to be true, but her version does not need, uh, sorry, but her version does meet the standard to be, recon- to be considered as a kind of fiction worthy of significant criticism and interpretive work. And Kingston achieves for her aunt the kind of status she believes her aunt deserves by embedding her into a work of art, which is further enshrined with the protection of a wide readership, at least thus far. But it hides a kind of troubling undercurrent, because the version that she represents of her aunt may bear little resemblance to the real person that existed in the past. The reader, after all, is not even told the aunt's name, and even in retelling, she remains a no-name woman. And instead, Kingston has incorporated the, this story of her unnamed aunt into her story, and we know her name. And I would not call this an act of solidarity, but rather a kind of demonstration of authorial power and ownership that is essential for her identity as a writer and as an individual who, as we follow her journey from childhood to, to adulthood, is grappling with her status as a descent of immigrants and as a woman. She does give voice to the voiceless, but the voice that ultimately emerges is not of those who are dead and gone, or even the voice of fictional characters of old stories, but her own. And several generations of readers have passed since the first publication of The Woman Warrior, and we can begin to see the full implications of the form of memoir and autobiography that Kingston helped pioneer, as well as the significance and difficulty of representing stories of women and minorities in American writing, both fiction and not, to the extent that such silences continue to be broken through narratives that now use Kingston's blend of both nonfiction and fiction, emotional truth and novelist techniques, readers must now reckon with the challenge that the woman warrior is chiefly still a book about Maxine Hong Kingston. It remains first a form of memoir, the extent to which we as readers can extrapolate writ large um, to the Chinese society she depicts, her parents immigrate, emigrate from, the Chinese immigrant community she writes of, and the American society she depicts searching for her own voice and identity in is both given great freedom and limitations 
based on the degree to which she chooses to use fictional and non-fictional techniques. To opt for both fact and fiction in order to depict and arrive at what she believes are pivotal moments of identity creation and self-discovery of who she believes she can most authentically be remains a bold technique for identity formation but carries with it tremendous narrative burdens and consequences of its own one which may be best continued by looking not just at what the woman warrior but at all the works that uses the techniques kingston helped pioneer to help her break her own silence and to discover her voice and i know that i am narrating this um this book by kingston and the only the first chapter and i hope that um after listening to my podcast maybe if you're interested you can um, go find the chapters PDF online and read it through. Um, but I guess what I want to say most is that we talk about feminism, we talk about power of woman, empowering woman in 21st century, um, leaning in of uh, motherhood, daughterhood, um, of of what it means to be a woman in society. Um, ever since college, um, where when I went, uh, where I went, um, we had um, events like Take Back the Night, which um, we discuss sexual violence on campus um, and sexual assault, uh, difficult things that women have to face all through her life. Um, and we have, you know, sexual misconduct advisor, um, which one of them, uh, his words still reckons um, in my mind, and he says that uh, he chose to become a SMA because the, and I, I quote right now, that he became a, a sexual misconduct advisor because I have been fortunate to know some strong women in my life who taught me a lot. This is my way of showing them I listened. Um, and I think that even though this uh, story is about silence, is about um, Maxine Hong Kingston uh, narrating how her aunt's voice was silenced, um, in today's society, we see women breaking out of this silence. We see the Me Too movement. And I think it's a positive uh, movement, a cycle to continue because only by speaking out, only by letting the world know what women are thinking can we have men who are like um, the one that I just uh, mentioned would listen who listen and understand and realize that these incredible women in his life have been teaching him a lot um, and he needs to pass the lesson on to share the information to share the knowledge and so i think this is what 
I guess touched me most from Kingston's book is the fact that um, whether it's silence or speaking out, she gives us a chance to see the possibilities of of women with her voice and how much power that could be. Um, and I think that's a really good uh, and interesting aspect I want to share to the world. Um, and thank you so much for listening in. Next uh, podcast, I want to continue the topic a little bit. Um, and we're going to talk about a Chinese feminist and probably the earliest modern feminist um, in China. Uh, and her name is He Yingzhen. And I only knew her because I took her class uh, with Professor Lydia Liu at Columbia, who's also a wonderful female um, writer and professor. And that's when I first learned that, oh, there was a feminist Chinese living in the uh, 19th century, uh, 19th century. Um, so long, long time ago, and this someone that I've never even heard of while I grew up in China and went through the education system. So um, let's look forward to that, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in.